I'm Andrew Knight, and you're listening to the Music Therapy Research Podcast. We are continuing our series of interviewing people who are on the editorial board of the uh, of, of various journals. Last year, we did Journal of Music Therapy, and for this year, 2016-2017, uh, we have um, people who are reviewers and on the editorial board for Music Therapy Perspectives. This episode is with Annette Whitehead-Plo. Annette and I um, met several years ago when we served on the American Music Therapy Association Board of Directors. And also, uh, I've known her in her capacity as Speaker of the Assembly of Delegates as well. Um, she is a clinical music therapist and a researcher at Shriners Hospital for Children in Boston, working with children who are burn survivors. She's also an adjunct professor of music therapy at St. Mary of the Woods College in Indiana and the author of several music therapy articles and chapters that focus on pain and anxiety, trauma, technology, and multicultural music therapy. And she's also the co-author with Shirley Tan of a new book by Barcelona Publishers uh, that is entitled Cultural Intersections in Music Therapy, Music, Health, and the Person. Uh, so if that's a uh, topic of interest for you, that uh, happens to be a brand new text that they edit, uh, that they are co-editors of and highly recommend it. Uh, but without any further ado here, she's talking about her path and her experiences in research on Music Therapy Research Podcast. For this episode of the Research Podcast, I'm pleased to welcome a member of the Music Therapy Perspectives Editorial Board, Annette Whitehead-Plo. Thanks for joining uh, me today, Annette. And the first question is the one we asked uh, to all our guests. So how did you first get interested in researching music therapy? Well, I first got interested in researching music therapy through my early classes in music therapy, especially with do uh, Dr. Michael Tout. He talked to us about the, um, the lack of research in our field and how it was, uh, how we, it was upon all of us as students and as we became professionals to go out and to do research to show the benefits we were seeing in our, in our work with our clients and uh, to get it published, that our field was just in so, such a need of research. And so uh, as I sat there as a student and listened to him, I, uh, I, 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 I took on that challenge that he issued us and uh, have just really worked towards doing that as much as I can throughout my career. And I'm wondering, uh, do you feel like, if you can just think back, do you feel like everybody around you, I mean, the other students, do you feel like, and then maybe I'm also asking this about the students you teach, do you feel like students are grasping that sense? Um, is it... Do you think it's made pretty clear to them about where we stand in terms of research? Or is there something about research that you remember hearing about as a student or that you try to portray to your students too now? That um, is, it, is it a really difficult thing to, to wrap our heads around as students? Do you think there's something else that we need to be doing to make it easier for students to understand what the deal is with research? You know, I'd, I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. I, I know in... Um there was a lot of music therapy majors when I was at Colorado State, and and I don't know that, like, there's one other who I know is an active researcher as well, and uh, it, you know, so that so it wasn't a message that everybody absorbed and took to heart. I think that uh, being a researcher is 
I don't know, it kind of has to, you're kind of born that way too, I think. Um, and then you get the call and you, you, you jump in and do it. But I think it's something that I try to teach my students now that it's something that they can be a part of and to continue on those messages that I heard when I was a student. Um, and to give them examples on how to do it, I think. Uh, the the fact that there's uh, clinician researchers like me and other people who have on top of their clinical work like done research and published it that that helps to pave the way for other people to know they can do it as well and so I think that that's a that's a huge component I think in our education of students is to to show not just the the you know, research the high quality that's done by scholars in academic settings, but to show the the role of and accent that role of uh, the clinician researcher. I, I agree. I think uh, clinician researchers are actually the heroes of the profession because you're really doing both of the things that we need so much more of, which is that direct service uh, contact with clients, and you also and you also are, like you said, contributing to the to what's so important the, the research base there as well. Um, so, so you, if, if you said, uh, you said they're, they're born that way, there's something about, it reminds me of, um, one of our previous podcast episodes with Dr. Deb Burns. She said, she just knew that her, her, um, I think it was her grandfather or uncle or something like that called her baby. How come? Because she would just say, how come this, how come that, you know? And so there's something about, you know, maybe an inquisitive mind or something, um, and what do you remember about your inquisitive mind? What do you remember hearing from the classroom that says we need more research? And when did it first change over for you uh, embarking on your first bit of um, trying out this whole thing of actually doing research? What did that look like? And, and when was that? That was uh, quite, it was, mm, it was a few years after graduating that I took on my first research project. Uh, but uh I always had that inquisitive mind, and I, and that's a key part of me being a clinician is that I, I'm in the sessions with my clients and hearing them say things, or you know, or you know, hearing the music they make or um, making music with them, and I'm always thinking, you know, what is this? What what the meaning does this have? Um, how does this piece of who they are fit into, you know, the, all of who they are, and how does this relate to their goal and how can I help to support them in this growth? And, you know, so I'm always having those questions constantly. And so that that, uh, that kind of leads directly for me to wanting to then to understand, you know, the, <laughs> understand the chaos around us more and bring order th to the chaos through knowledge. And so who, who were you working with at the time that, uh, since it was after school, who were you working with at, uh, in terms of clientele? And what was that first research project that you embarked on? Uh, so I was working at a state psychiatric hospital in Massachusetts, and it was uh, with adults uh, from uh, the, stu the study had adults from 27 to 68. It was, but they were adults like from 21 all the way to uh, probably in their 80s. Um, and, uh, and I had lots of uh, clinical questions there. Uh, and, but uh, I was... Uh, uh, my work, I had to run like a rec center on Sunday afternoons and, uh, and it was a, just a drop in place. And so I wanted to see, so I was curious about whether if I did a, a, um, structured music therapy in, uh, intervention for the group that would come, would, would that increase, um, engagement 
or would uh, if we did unstructured things. And so structured would be like a, you know, drum circle or sing, you know, or a singing exper- exper- experience or, uh, yeah, or songwriting or something, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, and then unstructured was, was often like listening to music or watching a musical or a concert. And I just, you know, was very curious about which was, you know, which was the better way to, to, uh, to engage people. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, so I went to my boss and uh, got the, we, we were talking about it. I was like, which, you know, because that was my clinical question. And I was like, which, what, which would be better? Like, it, I feel like I go there and I bring all these instruments and only a few people do stuff. But then I try other things and it seems like more people are engaged, but I'm not really sure. And he's like, well, that would, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, that would be a good thing to, to take data on. And then I was like, well going to take data why don't we just make it real and so i went through the irb process at the state hospital and uh, and uh, did this you know small study it was only 32 people and, and then um uh, i believe it became a uh, uh it was a poster that i presented at a conference my very first po- first poster at a at a at a national conference at the poster session it was a huge thing and i remember dr um Madsen coming up and congratulating me, and I was just like, you know, about to fall over with a, <laughs> like being like, wow, you know, this is such a small, small thing, and didn't really, like, it didn't seem like it contributed a great deal to the body of knowledge in music therapy, but it was, you know, the first start, the step. Right, and uh, so you're talking about uh, Dr. Clifford Madsen at Florida State University, who. Yeah, when I, when I think about it, or when I try to explain him to students, I say he's he's written, um, he's been writing, especially nowadays students. <laughs> I, I might not have been able to do this when I was when I just started teaching uh, in two thousand eight, but but uh, I would say something like Dr. Cliff Madsen has been writing articles, uh, research articles about music therapy in the Journal of Music Therapy longer uh, than your parents have probably been alive, <laughs> actually, because he's been he's been so prolific for so long. And uh, I had that same experience. I wonder if there's just a whole club of us that we need to get together that when we did our first research poster that Dr. Madsen came over and you're like, I know who you are. You don't know who I am. Why are you looking at my poster? Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Um, And and wondering why he took an interest at all in what I was doing. But he was the chair of the research committee for many years. And and so putting those research poster sessions on were so... Um, you know, and continuing to do it over the years and refine them and get it better and better. That, that, that's so important to the dissemination. What do you remember? What else do you remember about um, um, about trying to put the poster together? Or did you have any other mentorship through the rest of this uh, process? Like who told you this would be a good idea to put together in a poster? Or were you just doing this all on your own? I, I it's It was it was a lot of years ago. Sure. <laughs> but I... Um, yeah. Oh my God! I just looked at how many years ago it was almost <laughs> almost thirty years ago, which just doesn't. No, it can't be. Can't be. No, I'm <laughs> sorry. Twenty years ago, I can't do math. But uh, so, God, that's old. Anyway, um, it. Uh, I I think I did a lot of it on my own because I was very, at that point, I was, and I still am very independent and kind of obstinate that way, and so I. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, as I've always been, I put my mind to something and then I, I figure out the steps to do it. And, and so that's, that's what I did. And, um, 
And I did have some guidance from like the psychologist at the hospital helped me to work on it and to refine the statement, you know, this, the things. And I think I did might have reached out. No, I don't think I did at that point. I'm, it was early, later studies that I reached out to uh, music therapy researchers to get um, guidance. But on that one, I think I, I did a lot of it on my own mm. then with the internal support of the hospital. Well, and, and to point out for our uh, younger listeners, too, that this is before Microsoft PowerPoint existed. <laughs> this is before <laughs> we could, uh, you know, print off a beautiful, nice, uh, you know, 18 by 20 or whatever it is, 24 by 36 or something like that. That's all formatted with color coding and everything. We were all just kind of p- taking paper oh. and putting it on the back of construction paper or something, maybe, yes, and hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, a lot, yeah, a cut, lot of cut paste days. with papers and scissors and, and uh and the glue. <laughs> oh, that, does make, that makes me very much want to go run through the uh, AMT <laughs> archives and find pictures of early poster sessions just to explain <laughs> it uh, to students. That's great. Um, you know, one thought though, you know, ahead. back to like Cliff Madsen and and, yeah. and how how just how wonderful he was to do that. I've I've over the years I've seen and I just was at the poster session this year and I saw other uh, like big name researchers doing the same thing and it, I think that it's part of the culture within our research community is that, you know, Yoka Bharat came around and was, I saw, I watched her talk to almost every single researcher, if not every one of them, and to, uh, about their poster and really listen and really take it in. And, you know, and, and um, I was presenting a poster with uh, someone who had been an intern of mine and now is a professional. It was her first research poster. And, and to see her like excitement in in talking to her and then Barbara Wheeler came around and Carol Schultzes and all sorts of big name people came around to talk to to us about our posters and um and I just you know I kept looking over at her and seeing just like the you know the excitement of having you know these famous people that she's read about and known about that way to come and ask her about her ideas was was super important and I I try to do that as well, and I can with the new, prof- with younger professionals. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, that's really important. Think about our experiences and be able to pass it on as well. Oh, and, and so that leads me to my next question too. So, um, when you're thinking about new researchers and the other the people in the field, and maybe this is also, again, um, you know, you and I are both sort of in the, in the uh, crux of final exam grading and finishing up the semesters and all that. Uh, um, but, but what advice do you have for new music therapy researchers, um, given where we are at with music therapy research 2025 going on in our profession, given that we had, we're, we're you know, we were part of, you know, the initial, uh, we were on the board, I, th- I think, when, when the, um, the research priority was really a big deal for AMTA. So what's the research climate now and what advice do you give to music therapy researchers about how they can get involved? Well, the climate is, I think that the, well, there's many things that have happened. I think at uh, Research 2025, the, um, the role of the clinician researcher uh, be, uh, transformed. I think that, uh, that the work of several of us helped to um, highlight how this is not just somebody that uh, that academic uh, academic people or academic scholars just partner with to have a site, but that they're that the clinicians have a super important role 
in understanding what's going on and what are what like what's going on with the population and where are the clinical questions and not only that where are the questions that are coming from external sources of what what do we need to know to have the um like that have the the information necessary to continue these re, to continue getting funding for this work uh you know what are, what are the what are the trends within the field and where is the field going and how can you know what research do we need to do to keep up with the directions within that you know area of our field of music therapy and that uh and i think that that was that was really heard and that that uh the role of clinicians in in, in partnered re- research with the with the scholars is it has been elevated and and will continue to be explored further and then i think also the the role of the clinician researchers like me who just who uh, don't often always partner with or i don't really partner that much with uh with academic people that i that we that i'm able to run research on my own and in whatever facility i'm at and to then you know, publish it on my own. That that our role is also super super important because we also are are again involved in what's going on and know what's happening and know where we need information. And I I believe that that really, yeah, that that meeting uh, last year really helped us uh, solidify how important clinicians are within research. And so, as if people are considering doing this, do getting involved in research that. If it's your first time and and you're not sure, to, that definitely working with the with acad with the academic folks in either near you or if not near you, with this age of of um, electronic communication, you can partner with people across the world very easily. And so, get, you know, finding somebody whose whose interest is in in line with what your interests are, and uh, and um, yeah, and creating that partnership with them. I know that uh, academic people are often looking to do research because they have uh, certain quotas of how much uh, writing they have to do and publishing. And so having somebody to work with in doing uh, work that is very meaningful is, is, is important to academic people. And so, so find, finding those relationships are great. And also beside, um, beside this active feeling that... Uh, just in case people are hearing the word research in there and they keep that to <laughs> a really a really focused, narrow, you know, you and I are dressed up in lab coats with clipboards and we're doing very experimental things. It's not really that. It's also yeah. it's also writing, uh, it's theorizing, um, oh. philosophizing, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, term on topics. And I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about something that I really appreciate uh, about some of your work, especially that's coming along um, recently. For instance, we used... Uh, your chapter uh, uh, every semester uh, that I that I teach on culturally informed music therapy, and then you've got the new book that's coming out. I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about how you how your uh, research interests have gone into this uh, this other area of culturally informed music therapy, uh, multiculturalism, diversity, and those sorts of areas, and how you're pushing the field forward there. Yeah, I'd be glad to talk about that. But before that, I'd like to say that you know when I was first starting with my within research, I was thinking really that it was about numbers and like the typical quantitative research. And I've learned like through reading so many other people's work and seeing, and also just knowing like in my, in my work that there's so much that, yeah, sure. I can take data and numbers on, 
on things, but there's so much more to it. I, I especially in my work around pain and anxiety with children, that but there are things that are happening that that I could not, I couldn't put numbers to. I couldn't put. I couldn't like understand in that way, and that I really had to branch out into more qualitative thing uh, ways of looking at at information, and. And that continues to, to expand for me. And so just to let people know as they're thinking about research that it's not just about sitting like with a lab coat and a computer and, you know, marking down numbers and doing statistics, that there's so many different ways to analyze information. And that, uh, you know, that Mike Viega and, every, and the other folks who've been doing and bringing forth uh, the ideas around arts-based uh, research is... Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, you know that's it, even a newer way to analyze data, and it's uh, something that I find super exciting and interesting, and hoping to do that at some point. But uh, but yeah, I just wanted to share that. But uh, so how I got into like this like this uh, area of cult uh, cultural competence and music therapy is really uh, like a marriage of my personal life and and my activist life. With uh, my music therapy life is is what it is and yeah that came that came together oh God a long time ago and when we had a conference in uh, I, I don't remember years I don't remember the conference locations right but it yes was in the, I'm in the same space <laughs> <laughs> it's a different hotel with bad carpet oh no and... well that, that narrows it down and I bet there weren't clocks no. anywhere either every every conference place has bad carpet really ugly carpet right but, uh, <laughs> no it was in austin texas and uh that year i had been asked uh, to uh, present on heterosexism in music therapy and, and so that's the idea of uh of uh power and pr pr privilege around being uh people who are heterosexual in in our field and and then the other side of that of people who are not heterosexual having not having power and privilege and having being discriminated or oppressed. And so, um, boy, an yeah. interesting bit of irony that it was in Austin of all places too. Right? <laughs> it's just just yeah, knowing the geopolitical uh, issues throughout <laughs> Austin and then Texas more broadly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, yeah, so uh, my wife and I presented together because she was working in an LGBTQ uh, AI. Um, Youth Center and as a crisis counselor and and I, I was a music therapist and so I thought that that would be a good marriage because she knew a lot of the theories and stuff much uh, and could speak about them much better than I could. And so when we were presenting on it, we were presenting uh, from other fields, best practices around LGBTQ AI stuff. And, uh, and somebody in the audience asked, why doesn't music therapy have one? And I was like, I don't know. We just don't. Hmm. And they said, well, you should write one. <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds like a good challenge. And so over the years, I sat and I would sit down periodically and start to try and write it. And I'd be like, oh, this is too big. I just can't do it. And uh, and so then I, um, you know, uh, at another year, uh, well, my this work was also informed by my work at Shriners uh, Hospitals for Children. Because it's a truly an international hospital where we had children coming from all over the world to receive care. Uh, about forty percent of our population were Spanish-speaking, and 
And so the other music therapists there, Stephanie Clark, uh, Brink and I would um, constantly be in like, our caseload would be maybe one person who spoke English and the rest did not. <laughs> and we were always trying to find how can we make music therapy re like relevant to people from other cultures um, to, to, in, to, so they would engage in music therapy and we could um, you know, help the children through these experiences that they were having. And uh, we struggled with that and, tr and trying to find, like, well, how do you ask these questions and how do you do this? And, um, and it led to us uh, coming up with the idea of a multicultural assessment tool, which, uh, or not even a tool, but just a way to do assessment to include more multicultural questions to understand things. Um, and when we were presenting actually at San Diego on that, I met uh, you know, another music therapist, Amy Donenworth, who um, we talked afterwards, and she and she's very into LGBTQAI work and wanted, uh, she loved the idea of the best practices, and so together we formed uh, Team Rainbow, which is the group that then wrote the best practices and published it in music therapy perspectives and have gone on to do some survey research, which we are hoping to get the final results of that survey out this, in the next, in the new year. Mm -hmm. And so that really uh, then became like a blending of like my personal work of advocacy for, for not just for LGBTQAI people, but for, for things that I felt were <laughs> like needed to happen, like AIDS research and funding and you know um, housing issues and other issues around socioeconomic status and uh, and for you know race race racial issues within our country and and just all sorts of things that I've been an advocate for all my life and, and it just really brought those two parts of me together and uh, yeah and then other opportunities came forward that uh, continued to develop these ideas and Shirley Tan and I were the uh, co-coordinators of, um, of a multicultural institute at a conference, and I don't remember the location of that one right now, maybe Chicago. And then uh, from that, we had a, the, a, like a smaller version of our book because we asked each of the participants who, like not participants, but the people who presented to write like a 10-page chapter for a manual about um, different cultures because there was no way to really inform people of the culture in the short time we had to present even though it was seven hours long it becomes very short the more cultures you bring in and so after that we had this manual and we felt that it needed to be bigger and better and then go to a wider audience and that has then become the book that we have coming out this next year on cultural confidence and music therapy. And so that, that's, I guess, a very long answer how I got there. Well, I think one of the things that I, that I really uh, am inspired by about that story is that, well, first of all, when people are doing research, I think everyone who is a researcher or has tried research before will agree, boy, it's a passion project. It really takes a lot of, it can take a lot <laughs> of you. And if you're not completely into something, um, you may really lack the motivation to see it all the way through. You know, you really have to care about that population that you're working with, you know, even if it's 
um, you know, if we're just talking about our colleague, Dr. Lagasse, and she's working with kids with autism, like she really, really cares about that population because it can be exhausting with the, with the processes that you're talking about before with everything from the IRB to the, to the inevitable, you know, issues with the method falling apart and people falling out of a study or, or survey data and stats being all wonky and, 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 and working with numbers and, and all these other things that are not the kind of these integral parts of research that really make you want to do it. And so you brought, you were able to bring something together that clearly was a, something that was important to you, but that also it's just, it, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to do these kinds of research studies all the way through. I, it doesn't seem like you uh, sort of destined yourself, like this is an area that I'm going to do a bunch of stuff in, but not only you have a book now, you have a chapter in the in the Wheeler Music Therapy Handbook about some of these different issues. You've done a survey, like you mentioned, with Team Rainbow. Um, there's there's different ways of seeing this one issue, and I think you described that a little bit. There's some phenomenological understanding of it. There's some theoretical understanding that you're looking at, and then there's this descriptive stuff with the survey. And so all the when we toss around all these different terms in uh, coursework and everything. We're not trying to tell people, all right, everyone go and do descriptive surveys or, or everyone go and do qualitative um, interview only with the one population that you like necessarily. So I think it's, it's just a really nice example of, of getting at an issue from a lot of different angles as well. Um, yeah, yeah. if you look at like even just the body of my, not I have a lot, but uh-huh. the body of my research has gone from like, has it really employed many different ways of doing things and you know, from theoretical to like quantitative of gathering data on heart rate and, you know, and other and pain and, you know, but then also like interview data and, um, you know, and I think that in this, hopefully in this next year, you'll, the two papers will be coming from our survey from Team Rainbow that we'll be presenting data in two very different ways and, and that, that's, it, yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's that stupid story of like, of like you know you have a bunch of people with, that can't see you know they're, like their eyes are covered and they're trying mm. to describe an elephant in the room right you know and that one person is touching its belly and says it's like this big immovable thing and another person is touching its trunk and says oh no it's very flexible and it's you know about as big around as a like a fire hose and and another person is touching its leg and it's like no it's like a tree trunk and it doesn't move and then another person is touching the tail and says no it's this tiny little thing that twitches around mm. you know like and that it's all different parts of the elephant that people are describing and but you know it, but, but you can't describe a certain just one phenomena from one direction like if you right. you have to to truly understand it you have to look at it from all directions right and i wouldn't say that and, and it's not that you're only in this area too after i've i've cited your research um, that you got involved with with technology as an example that I think is well, all, was also something that not a lot of people were researching uh, at the time. So when you talk about uh, you know when you talk about your uh, sort of portfolio of research or, or, or the catalog or whatever uh, word that I'm that I'm missing right now, but yeah, it, people don't always have to go down just one uh, little rabbit hole here. Something at, you know technology was of interest to you at a certain time, and now you moved on to this other aspect. Um, so there's lots of, there's, there, there's no reason that uh, one's curiosity can't take you to uh, a couple different areas for cultivating your own 
research because again you really got to be motivated you really got to be interested in whatever and that motivation may change over over the years yeah and some of this has just come to me like people have been like hey you do this do you want to do this with me and or for me or and so that's yeah but yeah i am kind of unique that i have like four different uh focuses of my research and um and i think it's going to be changing with a with uh, some new partnerships that I have, that I have some more areas, uh, but I th- uh, that, but yeah, that, but other people like Dr. Lagasse, like that, like they focus on one population and and just really and that's and there's such importance in that because when you do a research study, then you have you're like oh that didn't quite work right or oh I have these new questions and so you just you know it's a wonderful thing if you can really take the time to. To focus in and just keep going deeper and in in all directions and to learn about that population more. So, Me, I feel like I'm just like doing a drive-by. <laughs> do this and then move on to the next thing. <laughs> well, if you want it, I think the URL for drivebyresearch.com. I don't, I haven't checked on it, but if you want that one, you can go <laughs> grab that and see what you think. <laughs> see if you can cultivate something there. Totally different methodology. Um, and I've talked to you a little bit about our students. So the last question we always ask is that we're, we're looking for uh, what are the important aspects of the future of music therapy research? Or another way to ask that is um, for, the, for the entire profession, that's regardless of where you're living in the, in the world uh, or regardless of what uh, populations you're working with or, or may have worked with in the past, what do you think? What do you think the future of music therapy research looks like? What are some things that we need, and who needs to be a part of it? Oh, that's a huge question. I think that you know, for uh, the for for definitely for the United States and and North America and, and Europe, I think well, not not fully Europe, but a little bit of Europe was involved. But that we you know, the AMTA has set the research priority for the next well now nine years, I think. Um, and that's, you know, that's, a, that's a wonderful start because we really needed to do that. And it's, but, um, beyond, you know, so you can look at that document and see what it says and to, into and encourage people to be a part of that and whatever the way they can. Um, cause yeah, there was a lot of different, I, I was only in on the, uh, um, I helped to facilitate the autism, uh, you know, setting of the of uh, the goals for or the desired research for that for mm-hmm. the next ten years, and there are so many diverse ideas within that that um, you know, and um, and the other I know that the other areas also have many diverse ideas, and so there's I think a place for many many of us to be a part of that of reaching that goal. Uh, but that, but you know, taking it into a bigger picture, is it is it uh. We are really, within, especially within our country, that we're so very ethnocentric that we really are, like, focus on us and our work, and um, you know, and we do bring in some of the you know, Western European folks, and you know, and the Canadian folks some, but really we're so very focused on the United States, and that's no fault of music therapists in our country. And it's just, and I think it's just part of our culture of the United States that that we have this, that we're, you know, I think it's part of that settler, like we're coming across the ocean and we're going to establish something great and, you know, and that we're still in that, like, very 
me focus and, and our eyes are on ourselves yeah. and that uh, you know it's a developmental process but I think that uh, as a field in in a global field of music therapy it's time that we it's important for us to look to our partners and sisters and brothers across the country or world I mean and to start hearing about the theories because uh, from other pe- parts of the world and to hear about their practices and to and to share to share information back and forth and to truly listen and be open to what they their experiences and because and, I think that that will inform us in very deep and powerful ways and um, and that it's not just that we know what's right and everybody needs to listen to us I think that that's a that's a huge culture shift that is needed sure. and and you know and also being um, finding ways for us to share our information with with uh, fellow music therapists across the world, making it more accessible. There's, you know, parts of uh, South America and Central America are really wanting to develop music therapy and um, don't have the same resources we have because all of our stuff is in English and, you know, it would be like if we could help to develop music therapy there by making our resources available to them in, in, you know, in Spanish and and then, and also similar things are happening over in, in Asia that there's so much we could do to help to expand it if, if it was in other languages or available to be translated in other languages. And so um, I think that you know, like sharing of our information and being open to learning from others is a huge part of moving forward in, in research and in, in our field. Right. Well, I thank you very much for your thoughts, for your time, and of course for uh, for everything that you've done for promoting music therapy research um, uh, over the years as well. Um, and um, again, uh, not just uh, in the journals and everything, but you mentioned uh, the the book that you have coming out, you, and I mentioned the the culturally informed music therapy chapter. You've got some other chapters and books as well. So it's just been a, it's just been really nice to, to talk with you about uh, all these aspects of music therapy research. Thanks very much, Annette. Sure, thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast associated with the Music Therapy Research Blog found at musictherapyresearchblog.com. Your hosts are Dr. Blythe Lagasse and Dr. Andrew Knight, music therapy faculty members at Colorado State University. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by heading to iTunes and submitting a review and a rating. It only takes a minute and helps our visibility on the iTunes page tremendously. Thanks in advance.